Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live, Lauren. We're live with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, sounds, and smells of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning movies, books, TV, and the world around us. Cool. And I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. And I'm Lauren Taylor. And today we have a return. Is this our first returning guest? It's our first ever returning guest. Yeah. We have our first ever returning guest. That's huge. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Dr. Nina Shapiro. Hey there. So great to be your first returning guest. That is pretty cool. We've been doing this over two years now, right? Yep, over two years. That's amazing. And pretty much once a week for the last two years. Yeah, I was just talking with um, Dr. Shapiro about how we haven't really missed a step since Zoom allows us to record. We've just kept going throughout the pandemic and the lockdown. And you were one of our last in-person ones, right? When, what time of year did we all get together? So we were just looking back. It was, it was earlier than I thought. It was actually early February okay. 2020. Yeah. Where, and, and you were like, yeah, so what do you think of this Corona thing? And, you know, we sort of blew it off. Um, but I guess, you know, that's when we, we were, we met in person and I don't even think we thought twice of it being concerning at all. No, not at all. Not, not a bit. Amazing. Totally amazing. And, and at the time we talked to you, I just want to turn my phone ringer off. At the time we, we were talking about your book, what book? book? Oh, you mean this book? <laughs> that book. Hype. Yeah. And I still have, I still have my signed copy of it. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, yeah. I, I sleep with it under my pillow every night. Good. Yeah. It's, it's good material if you can't fall asleep. Right. Well, it's actually very comfy as a pillow. Good. I'm glad to hear you. <laughs> yeah. And um, no, it, it is really unbelievable how much has changed in this last year since we met. I mean, we were face to face, we hugged, we, we embraced, I remember, right? Right, I mean, we, we hung out. It was, it was, you know, we took some pictures afterwards. And, exactly. And, you know, I, I, you touched a book that I touched. I know. It was crazy. I mean, we were sitting around a, a table in an enclosed room with, I don't know if there was ventilation or not. No, I'm so I'm in that very I'm in the room right now just for nostalgic points. I could be anywhere, but yeah. I deliberately that, came back yeah. to the room. I'm in that, our conference room. The room where it happened. So yeah, I mean it's amazing to think that like we would never do that right now. I mean, now okay, if you're vaccinated, I'm vaccinated, fine, but it's just the notion of sitting in a room with other people with you know, without the windows open, without masks, without everything um, measured apart. The fact that we're not, that we did that a year ago. Yeah. And it's amazing. What, and you're an ENT, ear, nose and throat surgeon, right? Yes, pediatric ENT. Pediatric. So, you know, for me, you know, we shut down after, you know, everybody kind of shut down just for a very little bit. And then we kind of went back to, because we do a lot of emergency surgery. So we kind of went back to normal, but with ENT, where you're in people's faces, how, how did, what happened to your practice? And, and I don't, I mean, A, what happened to your practice, but how did it change you in terms of wanting to get into these faces? Like, oh, so, you know, back in the dark ages of March and April and May, 2020, um, we didn't see any non-urgent anything. Yeah. Um, and all of our stuff is aerosolizing procedure. Right. And, you know, but the inpatients were still there. You know, kids still need trachs and needed bronchs and needed, you know, inpatient procedures. And until there was routine and, and the idea of getting a COVID test right. pre-procedure was the biggest deal. So now we just like, oh, pre, you know, pre-op COVID test. Um, but then we couldn't do that so easily. So we would treat every airway procedure as a COVID unknown. And most of them were COVID unknown. Right. So, you know, and there was limited PAPR, which is, you know, the, those space suits 
that you know people that you see on television that people use for um, you know the Ebola. ICUs, yeah, yeah, the Ebola stuff. Um, so it was pretty scary. It was really scary. So were you walking around in? Because I at one of our hospitals, they were not very good at getting COVID tests. So we same thing treated everybody as if they were COVID. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of surgeries wearing the whole. You know, I looked like a minion from. Uh, from what's the movie? Despicable Me. Despicable Me. Yeah, I look like a minion. I because the ye- I love the yellow ones. So were you constantly because you're just dealing with the airway? Were you always in those suits? No, we weren't. I mean, first of all, we had very few of those, right. suits. and um, we we were thankfully able. To, you know, when it really was something that was an airway surgical, we did get COVID tests. It was right. just a big production to do it. And to go through six different hoops and get ID approval to get the test. Um, so we didn't walk around with these, you know, these, you know, marshmallow suits all the time. Right. Um, but, you know, we still, you know, we were, you know, even the idea of like an N95, that was such a, or, you know, oh, I have my one mask. We were given right. one mask. We had the fit test. And, you know, that was your mask. That was it. We had right. one. Yeah. And you had those little bags that we'd have to clean them and send them off and get, you know, I don't know what they, you know, what sort of cleaning process you had to sign your name on the outside, date it. Um, so, you know, even just like, ha- you know, these coveted N95 masks, it was. And they were recycling them at one point. Remember, there was a period, at least at some of the hospitals, where rather than disposing of it, they actually took took them back certain masks and they would they would actually I don't know what they, I don't think they wound up having to do it, but I think there was plans to kind of reuse, put them back into circulation for other people. That is so nice. You didn't see that? No, I mean, we were just told to, you know, label our own and you get your mask and you can, you know, you have to use it five times. We'll clean it five times and then, you know, and then just dispose of it. I don't think we, I don't, I don't remember hearing about recycling though. Yeah. And what happened in your office? Did your office... When when you finally opened up, how was how was your staff? How were you guys? So we we never closed because as like you, we have or even if it's not in the hospital, we had right. urgent patients. So for head and neck cancer, you know, acute airway stuff, the office never closed down completely, um, and uh, we had as much you know careful practices as we could back then. So, you know, we did have N95s for the office. We didn't have PAPRs in the office. I know some offices have PAPRs. Mm. Um, But, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty scary time now because we're still doing aerosolizing procedures in the office. Every time we stick a scope in somebody's nose, it's aerosolized. So we get pre-procedure tests pretty easily on every patient who's going to get a scope or certainly like a sinus procedure in the office or debridement or an oral biopsy. I mean, it's all just like spewing COVID. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kids, I mean, kids are just coming in coughing and sneezing and touching themselves. And (laughs) was there a certain amount of fear, you know, that your staff and you guys had probably more than others or, or because you were so used to it, you guys were more calm about it. Now we're more calm, but certainly at the beginning, you know, when the early data was coming out that, you know, the highest risk, surgical specialty was ENT and right. the people who were dying, you know, the highest per capita deaths were in ENT doctors and eye doctors were, were actually the highest. So that was really scary. People didn't think that children could wear masks. So they weren't, uh, now kids, you know, two and up wear a mask, no problem. They actually have to remind yeah. their parents, put your mask over your nose, mommy. Um, so it was, but at the beginning, you know, they didn't wear masks and they were coughing and, and they certainly didn't have any sort of sense of the concern if it's your, if you're a little kid. Um, but you know, now we have a, you know, now it seems like so long ago, but now it's a pretty set protocol. We, you know, everybody right. has a pre COVID test if you're coming in for a procedure and it's really not a big deal. Parents were very reluctant at first and now it's very tolerable and, um, and, you know, makes everybody safer. Did you take care of many COVID patients? I did any? I didn't because, well, I took care of like, you know, we, you know, we had an MISC, um, the multi-inflammatory syndrome of children. Right. Um, we had a few patients with that. So those are sort of the post-COVID uh, complications, inflammatory complications. 
so they weren't considered active COVID because they were already, you know, some several weeks after their acute infection, and most of them didn't have symptoms during their acute infection. It's all post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't have any really sick airway-related COVID pediatric patients. They're very, very few. The pediatric right. population doesn't really have that sort of, you know, chronic intubation or anything like that. Yeah. So my question for you is, as an ENT doc with, with everybody masking and being super cautious, did your volume of cases this year go down because there was less ENT kid stuff because they were better, you know, safer or whatever? It's, it's unprecedented. I hate to use that word, but, um, you know, if you ask any pediatrician, they've probably seen two kids in the last year with ear infections, um, as opposed to like 25 a day. Yeah. Uh, So needless to say, since I see kids who've had, you know, 10 ear infections a year, uh, 10 a day or 20 a day, it's, it's, it is drastically different. We're not seeing recurrent ear infections. We're not seeing sinus infections. We're not, I haven't seen like a booger (laughs) in a kid's nose in 13 months. So it is a, it's a completely different field right now. It's going to change because kids are going back to school and kids are going to be, you know, all over each other soon and they'll have their bugs back and it's going to be gooey central, you know, by next fall. But uh, it's, it's really, really different. We, we see, we, we just don't see what we would call like bread and butter ENT this year. So was business kind of down for you guys or were you seeing um, more other stuff? Other, it's different. So we're seeing, um, and they've already looked at this, that there's, there was a little bit of a baby boom, although there's actually been fewer premature deliveries, I think because people are home and not necessarily on their feet. So I think there was a little, so we see a lot of complications from prematurity. Um, so that was down a little bit, but I'm seeing a, a sicker kids. And by that, I mean, not COVID sick or respiratory sick, but, you know, more congenital abnormalities or air, you know, congenital airway abnormalities. So those patients um, take up a lot of time and energy and effort. So it's definitely weighted more towards that these days than like, oh, another kid who's had 10 ear infections or another kid who needs their tonsils out, um, which is, you know, more routine. Now we're just seeing more complex stuff. Do you think as a society we're going we're gonna to stick to these masks or you think as soon as we could be told no more masks, they're coming right off? You know, I think it's, it's not going to be either. I think that there's going to, I don't think masks are ever going to be gone now. I think there's going to be a place for masks in society. First of all, I think that, and I've spoken to, you know, some doctors and some nurses who say, you know, I will forevermore wear a mask at work, right? You know, especially in our business. Um, you feel that way? And I don't know. I mean, I really, because I take care of kids um, and I was never really a germaphobe. Just right. was, you know, I, t- I live in, in like boogers and snot and trachea yeah. secretions. It's just, I'm not like grossed out by that stuff. Um, yeah. I got terrified with COVID because it just, it felt like, you know, I don't care if I get sick, but I just, you know, like die. That was really right. a little bit more scary. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I'll wear a mask forevermore at work, but a lot of people say they will. And that may be, so. it may be that, oh, you know, doctor's offices and hospitals require masks yeah. going forward. You know what I found interesting? When I was a kid going to the dentist, my dentist didn't wear a mask. Never, right? never. Nothing. There was no such thing. No. But then like years later, I remembered going to the dentist. There was a big gap in between when I... I probably was, I'm a bad patient, you know? So I went as a kid to the dentist because my mom used to make me go and then I didn't go for years. And then I went, you know, probably while I was in med school or something in my mid twenties and the dentist had a mask on and I was a little insulted. I'm like, what? why is the <laughs> dentist wearing a mask? Right? Have. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, and now you can't go to the dentist without, I, I don't think a dentist doesn't wear a mask now, right? No. Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, also I remember at, similar as a kid, they would never wear a mask and they all, they had clothes on. They would never wear right. scrubs, you know, a tie or they wear gloves. No, no. Oh, of course not. No. Um, and uh, yeah. And now they, and then they did. Yeah. I don't know when that transition was, but it was definitely not COVID. It was well before COVID that they but started. ENTs, but ENTs haven't made, it's interesting. Dentists have made that switch, but ENTs in the same thing 
generally nope. don't, right? You do an ENT close-up exam, you're not in a mask. No. I mean, I've gotten, spa- I mean, I don't even wear eye protection. Yeah. And, you know, kids spit at me and, you know, it's just, I'm all the stronger for it. Except- right, exactly. Right. So, so you're, you're the hypest. Do people call you the hypest or the hyper or the hypenator? They call me a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like the myth buster, I guess. So, um, I've been called judgy. People call me judgy a lot. Don't judgy. judge. Oh, okay. I judge a lot. It's, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. Okay. So, so, so there's so much crap about what's going on with COVID. Have you, have people, are you the person that people have been going to when they have COVID related hype? questions, mask questions, vaccine questions, have, because of your book, or do you, have you found yeah. that everybody's coming to you? Yeah, no, it's interesting because the myths have sort of evolved. So the first myth was, is this really a thing? Is it really a disease, right? It's fake. It's, you know, it's made up, you know, whether it's, you know, made in a lab or made by an animal, that really, you know, that's a different sort of debate. But the, the idea is- Do you have a theory on that? Are you willing to say a theory on that? I don't, I don't think it was fabricated. I mean, coronaviruses are not new. Right. You know, when you first, when I heard about that, it was called a coronavirus. I was like, oh, I remember we learned about that in med school. Coronavirus is just another type of cold virus, like adenovirus or rhinovirus. Um, So I don't necessarily know if this was fabricated. I think so. I don't think fabricated as like a warfare thing, but maybe it was, I'm open to the fact that they were doing research in a lab on some strain of a virus and somehow that, vi- you know, not to cause harm, but, but to, you know, researching this virus and somehow it got out. Do you think that's possible? Or you it, think it is, it is no. possible. Okay. We may okay. never know. Right. We'll never know. We're never going to know. Um, but that was the first myth that I got was that, you know, that this is not a real thing. Right. Then it became, um, you know, the whole mask thing. And I think, you know, we as a medical, you know, group kind of messed up with that. Um, not what do you like, mean? Well, you know, the whole idea was that, well, don't touch your, you know, the first weeks of COVID was don't touch your nose, don't touch your eyes, don't touch your mouth, don't touch your face. Um, and that's all you need to do and wash your hands. And the mask is actually going to be making it worse because you're going to be putting it, you're going to touch your face. You don't know how to don and doff. You know, we felt all special being able to say those words, donning and doffing. I don't and, like those words. Yeah. I mean, it was like this whole sort of pretentious idea that only doctors and the nurses and healthcare people can do this. So don't do it if you're just a regular lay person, don't wear a mask. So that was sort of a funny little myth. Mm-hmm. And then it became like how to prevent it. So, you know, gargle with hot water. Um, there, then there were all these, um, like alternative companies that were selling their wares, you know, inhaled silver, drink colloidal silver, silver, silver cures everything. Yeah. Hear that Lauren? Did you hear that? That one's new to me too. Yeah. Yeah. There's several companies that, you know, really promote silver solution, drinking it, inhaling it as a, as a vapor. What do you think of the people who you see riding in their cars alone in masks? A, what do you think of the people walking alone on the street in masks? That bothers me. Does it bother you or? It's just, it's sweet. It's cute. So I remember, you know, again, like in the early, you know, a year ago, the idea was that COVID is in the air. And then if you, and that, you know, I remember I was on the phone with my parents and they live in New York and they're like, why do, why did I just hear a door open? Get back in your house. Wow. Like even go into my backyard that right. COVID was literally in the air yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, don't go in your car because you have to put the air on research. You know, that's, that was kind of strange, you know, that miasma theory back from yeah. the 1600s that, you know, it's like floating in the air. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, does it bother me? I don't know if it bothers me. I certainly, you know, I don't think it does anything except, you know, makes them look a certain way. Um, right you're not going to catch it from, you know, somebody's, you know, who's in their car. They're not going to catch it from being out, you know, from somebody in the next car. What do you think of the six foot rule? Yeah. So, you know, that was the thing about this whole experience is that we're making it up as we go. 
right. we're trying, you know, I don't want to say making it up, but we are. And so, you know, they did some studies looking at how far the, you know, aerosolized secretions go and how fast they can dissipate and at what speed and at what distance. And so that's how the six feet came about. Apparently now that's now three feet. <laughs> right. For kids in school. Yeah, it changed. In my mind, I thought the whole, you need a mask if you're going to be less than six feet. But if you're more than six feet, do you even need a mask outside? Right. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, the whole, I was hoping yeah. that there would be some sort of good data or some sort of good presentation and recommendation that masks are not needed outside. I was hoping that that will be the first place to lose the mask. And right. that, you know, to have it literally just like if you're outdoors, you don't need a mask. If you're indoors, in certain situations, you need a mask. Right. And I don't know if it's going to be like that. Like if it's going to, if they're going to trend down the masks as opposed to just all or none, but it seems like being outdoors is the least likely place that you'll catch something, except that you see these crowds, you know, they're right. unless you're in a crowd, yeah. unless you're in a crowd. Yeah. So what's considered a crowd. Right. Yeah. And now I'm also confused about the two masks. Do you wear two masks? Like that just came I out like a month ago. Masks. You no, do? No. Oh, no, I, no, like, no. Wow. I wear an N95. Okay. I put it, I, you know, it's all I do is I'm living in spit and, you know, I see minimum of two people for each patient because I see the parent and the kid. Um, so I'm exposed to adults just as much as I'm exposed to kids. So I put an N95 on and I, you know, before I get out of my car and I take it off before I get in my car and I throw isn't them out now. Isn't it enough if you're vaccinated just to wear a regular mask? Probably. I mean, right. if I weren't doing the, you know, the aerosolizing procedures, which is all I do. Um, you know, I certainly don't wear an N95 mask when I'm not at work. Right. Right. Well, so. I have a question. I remember when this first started another reason. Yeah. Doctors were saying just to wash your hands, you know, like you don't need a mask, but another reason they were saying that is because there was a mask shortage. So I feel like we were told, you know, like make sure the doctors have it first. Do you think in the beginning, if they would have just encouraged everyone to wear a mask, this wouldn't have spread as badly? Yeah, I do, actually. So, you see, I don't know if I believe that, because I think California was one of the states that seemed to me to be good about masking and doing that kind of thing, and yet our numbers exploded. I still think we were late. I, still, I, I remember thinking that the doctors needed it and not to not even purchase yes. a mask. Yeah, I still have from some very, very dear friends bags and stacks of masks that were delivered left at our front doorstep um, that they had from, you know, this is fire country. So they, they gave all of their N95 masks to us because that's how desperate everybody was to get a mask. So they were donating it to us to use in, at work um, because they wouldn't be using a mask. Mm. It does seem, yeah, crazy what a year it's been because now we have N95s just like in our drawer, our kitchen drawer, just to like pull out whenever we need them. I, I put an N95 if I know I'm going to a suspected COVID patient or known right. COVID, then I do the whole deal. But otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's enough data that makes sense for me, and especially the two masks. I, I don't know where that... That yeah, that was that was kind of new, and that's kind of strange. You know, I actually think that I mean, the only time I wear a double mask is because the mask has the the second mask I have has a built-in shield. I don't wear one of those like big head head shields. It's more just you know what I'm talking about. It just has for eye protection. But yeah, the the thing about the double mask is that actually you know, just for like non-medical people, if you have like your kind of surgical mask and then you put another mask over it, it actually opens up the first mask on the sides. Mm. So it's just, it's like a little, a little air freshener, a little, a little ventilation, but more exposure. So I don't, I don't really get what that's all about. Maybe mm. it's like brush your teeth and floss. Right. Or wash your hands with soap. Wear right. two masks, like it's right. supposed to be better, but I don't know what that where what that's all about. So you do think it's masks more than good hand washing? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's an it's a you know it's contagious via drop via aerosol. Right. 
right, so right, right. you know obviously you know what you know if you're like sticking your hand in somebody's mouth and then touching your face <laughs> you're gonna catch something yeah. but i don't know if it's really you know if the hand washing it's important but i don't think it was enough so what crazy hype stories have you heard in terms of the vaccine what kind of what kind of stuff have you dealt with a lot. I mean, I'm really, there's my judgy. Uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of vague stuff, I think. And you can tell the more vague it is, the less the people know what they're, you know, what the, it's based on. So I hear a lot of I'm waiting and I'm not quite sure what that means. And these are people who are healthcare workers and, you know, working in COVID ridden areas that are waiting. I don't know if they're waiting to see what we have reactions to, the ones who've gotten the vaccines, um, because there have been 130 million vaccines given in this country. So I, they're obviously not waiting for like the Im- immediate results because we, we can see that every day. So maybe they're waiting for like a year from now, but or from 10 years from now. So that's right. the vague stuff that I hear. Yeah. Um, obviously that it's going to alter their DNA. We hear that. We Is hear... there any truth at all to that? No, come on. Stop <laughs> <that>. <laughs> not at all. No, no. You're the, you're the hype person, I'm asking. No, there's no truth to that. This Even the, um, you know, and I think that was really easy to explain for the mRNA vaccine. So, okay. you know, mRNA is not DNA. It doesn't go near the cell nu- nucleus. It doesn't go near your DNA. It goes to your ribosome, which makes proteins. And you can explain that very visually. Not um, going to make us sterile? It is not going to make us sterile. Um, COVID can. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there's been some orchitis with COVID, um, mm-hmm. certainly for male sterility. Um, mm-hmm. It will not cause uh, fetal loss. That was, you know, it's going to make, you know, that it's that this this uh, spike protein is similar to a placental <clears throat> binding protein, mm-hmm. and that that will cause, you know, fetal loss, miscarriages, pregnancy complications. So that was dispelled. Mm-hmm. Um, that it will, you know, then there's like the nanotransmitter 5G uh, that you're going to be sort of, you know, zapped. Right. You'll have this digital. And I think, you know, where that came from is that I think it was Bill Gates who said, we're going to have a digital ID after your vaccine, you know, in a way that, you know, can just identify that you've had it. So people already thought that that meant that there was some sort of digital processing going on in the vaccine itself, as opposed to getting some sort of barcode that you can scan when you go to LAX to say that you've had the vaccine. Did you hear the one that Bill Gates masterminded all of this so he could just make money and be successful yeah. because he, he gave that whole, I don't know if it was a movie or a Ted talk about that this was imminent it was a TED talk like five years before yeah. it happened. He was mm-hmm. trying to warn people. But he's not the only one. I mean, he's the most well-known one who's who's warned about, you know, this massive global pandemic. Right. True. Yeah. But, and know. then um, have you seen crazy reactions to the vaccine at all or heard about crazy reactions? So, I mean, there have been some. Yeah. I mean, there have been some real reactions to it. Um, I actually spent a day at one of the Megapods uh, back in January. What's a megapod? It sounds it's one of those, you know, it's like the, those vaccine drive-through oh. um, sites. So you can sign up and be a volunteer. And so I did that for a day. And you gave the vaccine to people. So here's the thing. I was a little disappointed. They, um, the nurses give the vaccines and the doctors do the monitoring. Okay. So, not yeah. so much, but, but it was cool. So you got right. to, you know, we saw 2,500 people come through that day and you go, you know, it was car to car. You're walking around, you get to wear a little orange vest and uh, feel all important. They're asking you like directions to the freeway. And, um, <laughs> and this was back in mid-January. So it was really just 65 plus by then. Most mm-hmm. of the healthcare workers had gotten it. So it was an older crowd. And, uh, you know, a couple people were flushed. A couple people felt a little kind of, they had this subjective shortness of breath, but they really weren't. I think it was just, you know, they were sitting in their car for an hour and a half and it was a sunny day. Uh, I gave them some water and they were fine. Um, I didn't have to do, you know, the little kit that they give you um, has Benadryl and Epi. Oh, wow. And that's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
no ambu bag, no, you know, yeah. no nothing. So thankfully we didn't, we didn't need anything. I, I actually saw a woman today who said a week after getting, I forgot the first vaccine, she developed bullus pemphigus. Oh. Like a crazy, you know, blistering rash. And I, I think the patient had a history of autoimmune stuff, but I wonder, you know, it happened, I think six days. This is today. I was seeing her for something else. Do you think that's from the vaccine? Maybe, maybe not. Hard to yeah. know. I mean, yeah. you know, if she was, if she was stressed, if she's had some, some sort of autoimmune processes in the past and she had right. some sort of, you know, internal issue going on, I don't think the vaccine caused it. Yeah. Um, you know, the axillary nodes, you may see that. Right. Uh, That's are really common after this vaccine. So they are recommending to, um, you know, if it's an elective mammogram to hold off. Right. Uh, for you know, with breast cancer. Right. And has axillary nodes. Yeah. They modify your surgery and your treatment based on you know if if the nodes have cancer in them. So that's been right. really interesting. That's been, that's been explain what the the nodes are. Explain what to look for. Explain so to a non doctor like me. So if you're getting a vaccine in your arm and then you get swelling under your arm um, from and it, and it could be from like a reaction from the vaccine because it's an inflammatory process that causes some drainage of the lymph nodes and some swelling of the lymph nodes, those lymph nodes can be indicative of lymph nodes related to breast cancer. Ah, okay. What the, um, I don't know if it's the American radiologist, you know, one of the societies is, rec- you know, the, that does mammograms was recommending that if you're scheduled for just a routine mammogram to have it either before your vaccine or to have it at least six to 12 weeks after your vaccine, because they don't want to mi- they don't want to mix up just lymph nodes from the vaccine and look at them and say, oh, those could be lymph nodes from a breast cancer because they'll look the same on a mammogram. Yeah. Okay. But and they're lymph- very different. Yeah. And lymph nodes are just like swollen glands, basically, you know, so like, you, you know, when you get like a tooth infection or something, you'll get swollen glands under your jaw. Or, you know, if you get cut somewhere or bruised somewhere, an injury, the whatever area that the lymph drains to, those lymph nodes will get big and swollen. And we worry that could it be cancer. So I haven't seen it yet. One of my partners has seen a few patients like that already. Yeah, so, it's, pretty, it's it's pretty common. Yeah, and not and, and it's not. I wouldn't consider it a complication from a vac- the vaccine. It's sort of like you know, some people get a fever, or some people get you know feel tired the next day, or a sore arm. It's the same sort of process. It's not necessarily considered like a bad reaction or anything abnormal. What do you think of the whole um, one vaccine is enough? You don't need to get that second one. Well, for Johnson and Johnson, it's one. No, <laughs> so, I mean for you know yeah. Pfizer, Moderna. Yeah, you know I've heard a lot. You know, and and actually, um, I think in some of the centers there's been a problem with with second dose people not coming back. Especially, yeah. it spread very quickly that well the first dose is fine, ooh, but the second dose is a doozy and you're going to get really sick and you know I don't. It was a really terrible. It knocked me down. So I think that you know really pushed people away. Um, you know, the first dose, if you look at the, the graph, the data from the original, certainly from the Pfizer study and from the Moderna study, it's very compelling that one dose is pretty good. It's yeah. better than most vaccines, but it's not good enough. And um, when we're still in such a low level of community protection, um, every percent improvement makes a difference. So, you know, it is not 100% effective, even if you get two doses. And so there are going to be cases, and they've already shown that there are cases that have been slipping through, I think somewhere on the order of about 12 per 10,000, you're still not protected with the two doses. And part of that is because the general community is not, we don't have a herd yet. Yeah. What I what I thought's an interesting debate, and I don't and I don't know if anybody knows the answer is if you don't have enough vaccines, are you better off making sure everybody gets the people who you vaccinate get two, or you're better off at least giving one to everybody? And I don't think I don't think do we know the answer to that yet? What's a better way to go? I know different states are trying to do different things. Do you do you have a feeling about that? 
Well, I think that's what they did in the UK. Yeah. It, they just said, we're only giving one to everybody right. or everybody we possibly can. Right. And their initial numbers went plummeted. So yeah. it really, really helped initially. Now, obviously, they're having some other issues and, and you know, the variants are going crazy there. Right. Um, and then there was the issue with, you know, AstraZeneca now. But um, What issue with AstraZeneca? So the issue with AstraZeneca is that it's not even under approval at any level in the United States yet. And I think it's not going to be for quite a while. But in Europe, uh, over the millions, and I think it was tens of millions of vaccines of the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, which has a similar way of working as the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Um, there were several cases of, uh, very severe blood clots in people who were actually younger, Mm -hmm. uh, so under 65, and some of them were blood clots mixed with a bleed. And uh, that was enough that many of the countries pulled the vaccine and, and held it. I know Germany held it, and I think the UK, right? Mm -hmm. The UK held it too. Um, so I think it was on the order of 25 people had these blood clots out of the tens of millions. So then the question becomes, is that a normal prevalence or a normal amount in those tens of millions of people anyway that we're just looking for any sort of issue? And does it have anything to do directly with the vaccine? So that's still sort of up for debate. Mm. So, yeah, so you can't think of a reason why the vaccine would cause a blood clot like that. It could just not be from the vaccine is what you're saying, what you think? I think I don't know. I think yeah. it, it could not be or it could be. Mm -hmm. that's you know it's it's just again that's it's the same sort of thing where yes there's you know these studies are complete and i don't want anybody to say oh you know this is just rushed and it's shoddy um you know we we haven't ever been in a situation where we're trying to vaccinate the world all at once for something that the world has never been vaccinated for so when you see the world and we're talking about million, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of people, and you start to see these medical events that happen all the time, but they just don't make news. Is it related to the vaccine? Is it not related to the vaccine? It's it, that it's still early to say. Right. Cause when you say like 25 people got blood clots, that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, 25 people could get blood clots anyways, and nobody right. would talk about it. So right. yeah. It is hard to understand. So, do you have kids? I forgot. I do. How I old? Do. They're middle and high school. So are you going to get them vaccinated as soon as possible? Yes. So my high schooler is, is you know, eligible for Pfizer mm -hmm. right now because that's 16 plus. Mm -hmm. And uh, she will be eligible for Moderna or Johnson and Johnson by the summer. So as soon as it's, you know, it's when it's under 49, we're already signed up for, you know, you can go to myturn.gov and sign yourself up and we're already signed up for my older kids. a kid. certain age that you wouldn't get a kid vaccinated? Well, I mean, I think as long as it's approved, I think, you know, the next group is the 12 plus. I mean, there's no reason not to, for health reasons, there's no reason not to, give the vaccine, you know, when everyone is vaccinated and the only ones who aren't vaccinated are two-year-olds, do the two-year-olds need a vaccine and you're okay with that? Or is there, where's the hype on that? Where, where's the hype? I don't, I don't think there's any hype on that. I think it's just a matter of what's going to happen by the time it gets approved for under 11 year olds. So that'll be six month olds to 11 year olds. That's going to be the very last group. And that's mm -hmm. probably going to be, so we're in March, 2021, say April, 2021. Um, it's going to be at least six months before that gets approved. So we're talking about next fall, next winter. And by then, hopefully we'll have had, you know, the 12 plus group and the 16 plus group mostly vaccinated for really anyone who wants it. And then we'll see what the community spread is like. Do they really need it? I think is the question. Because we don't know yet. So right. we'll see what happens when all of the adults get vaccinated and all of the teenagers get vaccinated. Is that enough to tamp down the community prevalence enough that it protects the kids, you know, 11 and you know, 
How are we going to figure out that it's okay to give it to the kids? Are they doing trials on kids right now? Yes, they are. They are. So, who are those kids? Are, the, are those kids, where are those kids coming from? All over. So the trials for 12 to 15 started maybe six months ago. Would you let your 12 to 15 year old be in the trial? It's already, it's too late. I would have. Sure. I mean, frankly, the reason you don't have I, any fear. you don't have any concern. No. I mean, fear. the only reason I didn't is because, you know, this, this child, this, this teenager who's, you know, 13 has two working full-time parents and, and the trials did involve a fair amount of, you know, going to the clinics and going to get tests. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of time involved. Right. Um, I don't think there was anything local because I, I did hear a lot in my sort of doctor groups of looking for tri- looking for th- to enter their kids in trials. I don't know of any open trials that were local in Los Angeles, but I, I certainly would have from a safety standpoint. I wasn't worried about that. Who who do the kids tend to be? Do they tend to be from? Do you have any idea? Are they from upper class homes, middle class homes, lower class homes? Is there is there knowledge or data on that? I'm just That's curious. A- I don't know. And I don't know if that'll ever be released as far as who was in the trial. Um, I do know of several doctors who enrolled their kids. Interesting. Yes. So that, you know, those are the only ones that I saw because that was sort of a social media, you know, doctors groups and social media. We saw, you know, they would post pictures of their, you know, 15 year old enrolled in or a 14 year old enrolled in a study. But the, you know, in answer to your other question, they have already started the trials for ages 11 and under. Yeah. So that started maybe about a month ago. And so as young as down to six month olds. Wow. So have you hung out with vaccinated people already? Um, I haven't quite done that. No? No. I mean, because I don't know a lot of vaccinated. Well, I guess I (laughs) I work. But, you know, most of my non-work friends are not vaccinated yet or or have gotten maybe one dose, but, you know, not quite, you know, maybe within this last week. Um, So it's, it's a little early and I'm planning to probably by, you know, in another month or so, it'll be a little easier to do that. Have you been on a plane at all during, during these times? I have not. But I flew really, I flew in late February of 2020. So right. that was one of sort of the last few. And I flew across the world. So, yeah. Where'd you go? Turkey. All right, for your book promotion. Yeah. I so, remember that. Yeah. So it was, it was, you know, people actually on the plane on the way back, um, there are a few people in masks, Americans. Yeah. Back, and that was late February already. So we were supposed to go away in March. Mm-hmm. And and on our episode with the doctor, it was an ER doc. It wasn't you, right? It was it was Doctor Yafai. Yeah. We were talking about it maybe afterwards. I don't know. And and uh, we were still on the fence, my wife and I, because it was like literally right. And we almost went, and then everybody said, "No, you can't go." So we were supposed to go to Panama, and so we wound up. Wow. Not going. Yeah, yeah. We didn't go. yeah, I got a lot of calls that week because it was right around spring break. Right. You know, we have a trip to Japan. We have a trip booked here. We, what do you think? Should we go? I, I was like becoming a travel agent. Right. Um, and then it became so obvious. I mean, once, you know, everything was shut down, um, you know, the question. Would you, would you travel now? Um, I will soon. Um, I mean, if I had to, I would. Um, you know, the problem is, you know, half our household is vaccinated. Half of our household is not vaccinated. So. Right. You know, and, and teens are a little different from little kids. They're just as likely to get trans, you know, to transmit it. And they're just as likely to, you know, they can get pretty sick. They are kind of young adults at that age. So mm. little, not quite. I, I need the community level to be a little higher. So Hype just came out in its fifth translation. What's the fifth translation? So, so, so the first was, well, English. And it's coming out in paperback April 13th. Nice. nice. Right? It's in this country. Um, so that'll be pretty cool. That's the English version of hype, but in paperback. And uh, it's uh, now in Turkish and it's in Portuguese and it's in Vietnamese and it's coming out in Taiwan. And wow. the last is Saudi Arabia. Wow. Yeah. So wow, that's amazing. So I'm waiting for my invitation to go to Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah. A long time for that one. Yeah. 
That's yeah. amazing. Why not Hebrew? I don't know. I mean, it's funny how foreign translations work. It's just, it's been a little bit random. How does that work? Do you reach out to the companies or they, or they reach out to you? So there's a whole um, entity that's foreign translators or foreign, foreign agents. And so they work with other agents in public publishing companies all over the world. And so they usually just pitch each other back and forth. So, but it's more common that the foreign agent from the country is looking for books as opposed to the agent in this country pitching books. Huh. That's, That's exciting. Cool. And then yeah. last time you said you were working on a new book. Have you finished yeah. your? Yes. Book? Yeah. So I have a new book. Whoa. Uh, it's already out? It's coming out in October, 2021. You're a hard worker. Um, and it's... um. It's called hype for kid. No, it's um, <laughs> it's it's actually a children's book, and it's called the ultimate kid's guide to staying healthy. And um, the the premise is that kids, and it's really geared towards seven to twelve year olds, so middle grade, you know, second grade, third, fourth, fifth grade. Um, and so the premise is that here you have your parents telling you all these things that you need to do, brush your teeth, wash your face, wash your hands, go to sleep, get off your iPad. Um, what's besides just that your parents tell you to do this and you have to do it because they tell you to do this. Is there any real science behind this? Why do you have to go to sleep early? Why do you have to turn off your iPad? Why can't you have cookies for dinner? Why can't you, you know, why do you have to wash your hands? What does soap do? What is the mechanism of action of soap? And how do you explain that to an eight-year-old? How do you explain to an eight-year-old why protein is better than sugar or, you know, important? That almost, that almost sounds like a book that's going to be like in schools, like required reading in schools. That would be great. <laughs> I think so. That's amazing. Are there pictures and illustrations too? Yes, I have a great illustrator. Her name is Nicole Grimes. Do you have a picture of it or not yet? I do. I can send it to you. Yeah, email us when it comes out and then we can like put a post of it on our social media. Oh, cool. I will. Thank you. What else, Lauren? Well, we have to end with, I don't know if you have time to watch anything or if you're listening to any anything or reading any books, but what what are you watching? What are you reading? Me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, then so, I, and then I have a final question, too, which is, have you, is there, because I have a real interest in mentorship. So my, my question is, is, do you have a particular mentor that, that, or have had a particular mentor in your life? And who is it? And tell us a little bit about that. So two final questions. You can go in any order. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, I, I watch random stuff. I did. Have you seen Promising Young Woman? Yes, I like that movie. No, you didn't see it, or you didn't no, like it. Who's in that? I liked it. I, it was Carrie Mulligan. Do you know her? Well, that just came out. Yeah, just came out. Oh, it looks really interesting. That's about mm -hmm. a woman kind of going on revenge. Yeah, it looks really great. Actually, yeah, it was. It was really. I mean, I'm not. I don't know much anything. I don't know anything about cinematography, but it was beautifully filmed. Um, and it was, it was every time there was a twist, there was another twist and another twist, literally until the very end, that it was just one of those really twisty, turny movies that you're just sitting there the whole time on the edge of your seat. So that was kind of fun. Appropriate for 15 and 17-year-old girls or no? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, they could, but I, I you know, we... Yeah. we we did not have our children watch it with us, and we we're glad we did not. Good. A little yeah. upsetting, you know. Clearly, yeah. it's, you know, it's a tough right. subject. Yeah, but great. Say, I was going to say you let your daughters watch Euphoria, so they can probably handle it. Yeah, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a bad parent. And then well, my my children love Borat, so how's that? Okay. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> and then a mentor. A mentor. Wow. Did you ever feel like you had a, a mentor at all? Um, you know, that's a good question. I had sort of along the way, a lot of mentors, but you know, back when I was training, um, there weren't a lot of women to sort of connect to old, you know, sort of there, there were yeah. a 
a few, literally a handful um, when I was in medical school and residency, because I, when I think of mentorship, I think of somebody that you can sort of relate to and see yourself somewhere, you know, 10, 20 down, 20 years down the line that you can see yourself like them, or you, you know, you relate to them that way. Um, I had a few, but not, not really how kids have that now. I think it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, there's certainly people that from my training, you know, for instance, my fellowship director, um, who, you know, became a friend, obviously, you know, he's still someone that I call on for questions. And um, so, you know, he's down in San Diego, I still consider him a mentor, you know, even though he's, you know, a friend now. Um, So I guess so. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's great thank to be you. here. Yeah. We should do we should make sure we do this at least once a year. This yeah, should be annual. See what next year brings. Yes, I like that idea. So here's the here's the question. Are we going to do it in person next year? Definitely. I hope we can so. do it in yeah. person now. Oh, you would that's true. You're kind of like Yeah. Well, you're yeah, you guys are vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you'll be vaccinated by then. I will For be. Sure. So I'm yeah. hoping we can do it in person next year, same time. See yeah. what see what the year brings. So we'll have gotten our third dose by then, <laughs> right? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I'm ready Probably. for my third dose. I feel like it's already been too much time, <laughs> right? See, nice. that, that's interesting. Yeah, questions I don't know the answers to. I mean, it's almost four months ago, three months ago, that I got my first shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Time for a few months month. ago. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't one of the first. I was a little bit later. We were the first week. Oh, wow. ENT. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, ENT. Yeah, no, I was a little bit late. My partners all did it before I did. And then I just felt too busy. I didn't want to get, because I was on call. So I was like, let me do it after I'm on call in case I have side effects. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. I waited. All right. All right. Have a great night. Great to see you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.